we'll get the whoop sound effect. So, uh, good morning, you all right? I mean, how do you follow this morning, really? I was like, oh, Holy Spirit, how do I follow that? And he was like, with the word, yeah. amen. Um, so, I hope you're switched on for this morning. Bernadette used a really good phrase earlier, because I couldn't really describe, I always get nervous about doing this sort of thing. But it's like, this is a different sort of nervous, and it was like the thumping in the spirit, right? God is speaking this morning, and I'm trusting what we've got here is actually going to speak to you today as well, that he is going to bring life and truth and challenge to us this morning, so that when we go out of here, we have something to apply when we're following Jesus, right? So we're carrying on with Exodus series. We are looking at chapter 4, 18, right through to chapter 5, 21. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to get that out. It will be on the screen as well, but we're going to read that together. Um, so yeah, Exodus 4, 18 to 31. What we're going to do, we're going to read it in two parts. So we got, we'll get up to 31, and then we'll go on from 5 onwards from there. And we're going to split it into two parts, because we're going to look at Pharaoh's culture and character, and God's culture and character. It's actually really helpful if we... Sometimes we talk about pursuing God's presence and his kingdom, but we go, well, that sounds a bit airy-fairy. How do we apply that? But actually, by understanding who God is and who he says he is, we know exactly how to pursue God's culture and kingdom because he gives us the, the keys to do that with. So let's read Exodus 4, 18 to 31. Um, up to this point, uh, Moses has been in Midian, and we're about to discover that Moses is about to travel back and the challenge that God has given him to go and speak to Pharaoh on behalf of the Israelites. So, Exodus 4, 18 to 31. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord said to Moses uh, in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. He took the staff that God had in his hands. And we know the staff is full of God's power, signs and wonders, right? It's a very cool bit of accessorizing going. You know, Thor's got his hammer, Moses has got his staff, right? And the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Then say to Mary, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Verse 24, a little side, side verse along the way. At a lodging place along the way, the Lord met with Moses and was about to kill him. That's a slight twist in the story, but we'll find out why. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, uh, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. So a little side note is, you are to be circumcised. If you're a Hebrew, you're an Israelite. And for some reason, Moses' son wasn't. So was, uh, he was separated from God at that point. And the consequence of that, consequence of sin, is death, right? So Zipporah quickly sorts the situation, and on we go with the story. <laughs> the Lord said to Aaron, 
go into the wilderness to meet Moses. Aaron is Moses' brother, so they've probably not seen each other for a long time. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. So they got a good relationship. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had said, sent, uh, had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, and had seen their misery, they bowed and worshipped. Because hundreds of years have passed at this point, and suddenly God is intervening. So they bowed and they worshipped. So in this section, I just wanted to reflect on God's character, really. And we're just going to look at a few verses, because this will point a lot to us in terms of what we can learn about knowing him and pursuing him. In God's character, so this is my area for God's character, if I wander backwards and forwards. In God's character, 4.20, he gives instruction. Like this morning, he has given people instruction to share. God is saying this morning, this, this, and this. He gives instruction. 4.21, he is releasing. You know, God could do a lot of these things himself, yet he asked Moses to go and speak on his behalf. And we know from Jazz's talk last week that that was a whole back and forth about Moses not wanting to do it. He releases us as his children into his plans and purposes as well. So another part of his character, he's releasing. 4.23, we get down to uh, 4.23. He is just. He is a just God. He says things and he acts them out. He's merciful. 4.26. So the Lord let him alone. (laughs) Moses, some were circumcised. And the Lord was faithful to his promises, right? And the Lord let him alone. He's merciful. 4.30. And this is about Aaron and everything the Lord had said to Moses. He performed signs and wonders. He is inspiring. He inspires us. And in our walk with him, we inspire other people to look at him. He is compassionate, 4.31. He has returned to the people, the Israelites. He is showing them compassion. So in this, in this very short passage, we actually find out that God's character is abundant. And you'll find throughout the scriptures that you'll spot things about the character of God, which is really helpful. So we're now going to read the next bit, because we're going to find out a bit about Pharaoh's character. And uh, that's going to be a little bit about, actually, it's going to compare a bit about our own world culture and character as well. So let's read that together. 5.1.21. Let's open that up. So afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the Lord of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. Or may he strike us with plagues and with the sword. 
But the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. In case you didn't know, straw and bricks at this point, they make it stronger, so they're really integral to the building of stuff. But require them to make the same number of bricks as they did before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go out and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use as straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers that they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today or as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you will produce more. Uh, you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks uh, required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So what does this tell us about Pharaoh's culture? We look at 5.2 and we can sort of get a suggestion that he is being ignorant of who God is and that he's actually prideful that he has greater authority than God's instructions and that he's being disobedient. We look at 5.7 and go, you know what? Pharaoh's character, he's vengeful. I will be vengeful for you for trying to do this thing. 5.9, we look at the fact that he's unbelieving. Merciless in 5.18 and over-demanding 5.18. There's more things that you could pick out there. But in these two things, we've got two, like you know, like magnets. When you push, when you've got the right ones, they repel each other. We see that God's character and Pharaoh's character are just totally different, right? They just repel each other. And what we're going to see here is we, we're going to explore two things. I was like, Lord, what, what, what could we take away from today? And there's two things. There's the paradigm of rest, which is repelling one another here. And it's being faithful in the test. So if you want a little rhyme to remember that with. The paradigm of rest. When we look at Pharaoh's culture, we look at our culture, it goes, work harder. Why have you not met waiting times? 
in your department. I'm going to give you less staff to achieve the same work, if not more. I am going to ask you to keep up with the social agenda more and more and more. There is a pressure, there's a constancy. There's like Pharaoh here who's going, I'm going to just make it harder for you to achieve the things just to make a point. And often our culture just asks us to work harder and harder and harder. It might be you need to have more friends than other people. The followers you have isn't as good as that person. Get more. There's this sort of restless anxiety around this working must-have-more culture. You know what? Your TV is pretty rubbish. <laughs> I could refer to this one at home. I've got a teeny tiny TV. You should get a bigger one is the pressure. You can't see it from where you're sat. So-and-so's got another one. What about your phone? Got to get the upgrade, right? I mean, they'll soon run out of ideas on that, won't they? Because they're all the same nowadays. But there's this relentless pressure which just generates an anxiety that is, there must be more. Pharaoh's culture is, I'm going to make you more for no better gain. It's not in your interest that I'm making you work. And our culture is just saying, it's going to demand more of you. It's over-demanding. <laughs> so we're just going to see what God's culture says about it, this paradigm of rest. What model of rest do you follow? And I am going to be honest, this is probably one of my biggest hurdles. It's one of my biggest sins, if you want a better word for it, in that we look at God's rest. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in it. He did this, he did that. It was good. There's no pressure there. He didn't have to do any of it. He does it because he's a creative and loving God. And after six days, on the seventh day, God rested. The all-supreme, all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, I can't say these words, you know, the one that's been around forever, will be around forevermore, <coughs> he rested. He didn't ask you to keep pressing, 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 keep going until you have it all. He goes, work six days, rest on the seventh. And what we read as we further go on, we'll get to it when the commandments come up in Exodus, is he actually makes it an instruction and actually makes it a commandment. And this is where, in my heart, I say, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> I so often live over there when you're asking me to live here. Because actually he wants to do me good, <laughs> not, not keep me tired. He wants to bring me life and freedom and love and all that comes with that in knowing him. And say, forgive me, Father, because you have commanded me to rest and keep it holy. <sighs> That's it with anybody else today? We live in a culture that tells us, nah, keep your weekends busy, see people, do this, do that. But God says, rest and keep it holy. And what that will look like will be different for all of us. You might be a single mum going, Debbie, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I can't keep up with that. I've got to look after the kids all the time. You might be a full-time carer going, that is not an option. If I stop looking after this person, they're not going to be in a good way. You might be working two jobs to make ends meet. You might be many circumstances. Life might just be full for the moment because you've got stuff going on. God is full of mercy and compassion, but he instructs us to rest. So whatever that looks like to you in your circumstance, and with the Holy Spirit's prompting and teaching, 
We've got to work out for ourselves what rest looks like in that circumstance. He says, work six, rest seven. So it might not be a literal day, right? If you're a literal thinker, you don't have to worry about a literal day. But what does it mean to you to rest? Rest with him and keep it holy. It's a question for you this morning. Gosh, has it been my question all week going, oh, Father, how can I be sharing this? But he's like, Debbie, you know the battle that it is to be from there to there to there to there to there to there. And I want to encourage you to remember that it is a commandment. And um, so the paradigm of rest. You are given instruction to rest and keep the Sabbath holy. You are released to rest as he did. You have permission. If that's what you're looking for, somebody to tell you you have permission to rest, I will say it to you today. You have permission to rest. You are justified to rest on the seventh day after working six and you are inspired to follow his example. We don't do this for any airy-fairy reason, because, because he taught us to. He did it right at the beginning, and he then tells us to do it as our practice. And in this, he has shown mercy and compassion to you. You are not having to work and gather, make bricks without straw, and go and find your own straw. No, he, there's no bricks at all. He just comes with you with abundance of grace, mercy, kindness, love, and everything else that he wants to give you as well. There's a book that um, this quote comes from that Barney led me a few pages of, and I can't remember the guy that wrote it. <laughs> Was it Walter Brueggemann? Hey, excellent. So if you want to find this book, go and ask Barney for the title, because I've forgotten that as well. But um, I've got the pages from it, and he just makes some really good points, that you are made in the image of the creator God who did not need to overwork to get ahead. So if you're made in his image, then you can do things in his likeness. You do not have to come back to this culture. You are no longer subject to Pharaoh's anxiety system. When you come under the wonderful uh, grace and love of Jesus in what he did for you, and we repent of the stuff that we are choosing to opt out of God's way of doing things, oh, there's no anxiety anymore. The Sabbath is the cornerstone for faithful freedom. I had a day off yesterday. I thought, right, I'm going to practice this. <laughs> practice what you preach. That's the old saying, isn't it? And I did, did sort of a little bit of gardening. I put some little nice flowers in. And I enjoyed just sitting, hanging out. And you know what happened? Common sense. I felt more energized. I felt connected with the creation that God had put around me. I felt more thankful. I felt more rested. It's a surprise that God wants to do us good, isn't it? No, but we forget that. We live between this bouncing. And this is why, you know, as a church, a local church, we believe in getting to the church most Sundays if you can or regularly because it reminds us of the truth that we're not living in this culture, we're living in this one. And actually we keep each other accountable to staying in this one. So get to the worship night if you can. God will want to sow some deep things in your hearts as well. So the second point was, we won't spend quite so long here, but I, I was sort of questioning whether to, to do that this morning, because obviously the topic of rest is pretty big in itself. Like, if we want to take it seriously and act it out. But I did feel God say, no, stick, stick with what you've got. And it's being faithful in the test. I've had quite a few conversations recently that sort of have led to going, yeah, this, this needs to stay. 
We see it the, uh, in, in the scriptures that we read where the Israelites bowed and worshipped when they heard that the Lord was coming. And we read at the end of that passage that we had that what did they do? They then blamed Moses and Aaron for bringing this trouble on them. And I was watching the Big Bang Theory the other day, and uh, the character of Sheldon literally said, they got into trouble, and he said, let's skip past the emotions and go straight to blame. <laughs> Isn't it a little sort of culture thing we have? But um, we see this happen in a, in a story of going, we bow and worship our king. Like we worship this morning, we will bow and worship our king. And then a week goes by, we get to Friday, and other stuff's happened, and we're going... Oh, this is totally your fault. <laughs> God, what are you doing? Well, how are you bringing me this message? This isn't okay. And part of that is being faithful in the test. We all experience hard times, right? Life is pretty hard at times. And it could feel like he'll break you. But actually, the God that we know is faithful to us, and he will be faithful to you. Scripture tells us that. So how are you getting on at being faithful in the test? Whether it be a tough time that lasts a week or whether it be a tough time that lasts years. Physically, financially, family, whatever it happens to be, how are you getting on? How are you doing at staying over here, at being faithful, being obedient to him even when it doesn't make any sense? I was looking at the story of Joseph going, my gosh, his story was a being faithful in the test, wasn't it? Your brothers try and kill you, get into uh, slavery, this, this, and this happens. But, you know, being faithful in the test. He is faithful to you, and he will give you everything you need to be faithful to him if you keep that connection going. So it's, let us not bow and worship in one moment, yet when trials come, become restless, cast blame and judgment in the next. Let us pursue his wisdom. And I want to end, land this with wisdom. The wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to seek accountability on something with a friend. I've got a friend that's going to be looking at my diary every three or four weeks to go, Debbie, why have you got that, that and that in? When's your rest? The wisdom to be able to know the lies from the truth. Wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He is faithful. Hold fast to him. And I'd like to read to you a few verses from Proverbs about the joy of wisdom. Just going to get it up. My son, my daughter, we can personalize that today. Do not forget my teaching. So when you go away from this morning or when you read your Bible during the week or whatever it happens to be, do not forget what you read. But keep my commands in your heart. Keep the seventh day rest and Sabbath and holy. Okay, all right. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Did you know that faithfulness is one of the gifts of the Spirit? Ask, ask for more. Bind them around your neck. This is love and faithfulness. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then when you'll uh, win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. A very familiar verse to, to many people. In all your ways, and this is a bit that gets me all the time, 
in all your ways, not some of your ways, not when you feel like it, not when you think it's okay, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Uh, all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Pharaoh's culture over here, but fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your crops. Then the barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim uh, over with new wine. And it goes on to say, My son, my daughter, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life to you and an ornament of grace to your neck. So maybe rest is sitting with you this morning after what we've talked about. Maybe it's being faithful in the test, which is the bit that's sitting with you this morning. But can we just stand? And we just, as we did the first part of the meeting, I'm just going to hand over to Dad in how we just respond to this and really ask God to sow deep the commandments and the instructions that he give us to be inspired to follow him.